We are podcasting from inside the archive room. Welcome to episode eight of the Year 12 English podcast. My name is Suzanne Hack and I'm the VC English team leader here at St. Leonard's College. Thanks for listening. So we are almost to the end of week one of the September holidays and I hope the revision program is going well for all of you and that you have been able to participate in some of the uh, exam revision sessions that have been running at school. What I want to do in this episode is recap the context revision session which I ran on Monday and which I will be repeating on the Monday of the third week of the holidays. But this is um, really just a recap of that information and perhaps a reminder for those of you who want to go back and listen to it again to sort of organise your thinking in terms of context revision. So when we think about the revision for the context section of the exam, uh, it's important that we understand what the exam task is. So section B of the exam requires students to complete an extended written response. And in your writing, you must draw on ideas suggested by the context encountering conflict. So in terms of your revision, you need to be applying that sort of lens of encountering conflict to the texts that you have looked at, but also the additional material that you have looked at in class and really think about how those ideas uh, gel together. Your writing must draw directly from at least one of the selected texts that you have studied this year. So either Life of Galileo or The Quiet American. You can, of course, use both if you choose. And you also need to make sure that you are addressing the ideas of the prompt that is presented in the examination paper. Your response can be uh, an expository essay, a persuasive essay, an imaginative essay or piece of writing, or a hybrid of these. And when we talk about a hybrid, we're sort of blending these styles of writing together. So, for example, uh, a persuasive imaginative hybrid might be if you were writing an opinion piece for a newspaper uh, from the persona, so writing as Thomas Fowler. So you are incorporating the uh, imaginative element by adopting a persona, but also writing a persuasive piece. One of the things that's really important when it comes to the exam is that you do not attempt a style of writing in the exam that you haven't attempted in the uh, attempted in a practice essay with your teacher. So it's really important that you, the exam is not the time to be experimenting or to be trying new ideas. It's the time to be using uh, material and ideas and styles of writing that have been well honed throughout the year. So if over the course of the holidays or at the start of next term, you have an idea about a hybrid piece or you're considering writing an imaginative piece, all of that is fine, uh, but you need to make sure that you have done uh, at least one or two practice pieces and received feedback from your teacher before proceeding any further. In terms of the way your work is assessed, it is assessed against um, three or three main elements: you, the, your ability to respond to the prompt, so the, the topic that you are given in the examination paper, your ability to draw on ideas from the text. And in that case, we're talking about either drawing implicitly or explicitly from the text, and obviously the sophistication of your writing. And it's really important that I give you a cautionary note here when it comes to 
uh, your response in the exam. One of the things that examiners are certainly looking for and are uh, conscious of is that some students across the state are being advised to memorise a context essay and simply rewrite it in the exam. And the dead giveaway for students who have done that is that their piece of writing does not address the prompt and isn't looking at the key words of the prompt. In a previous podcast, I talked about the importance of signposting the key words of the prompt, and that's certainly something that's very important for your exam response for context. You want your assessor to be able to see very, very clearly, you don't want it to be ambiguous at all, that you have responded to the prompt that you have been given and it, you're not just presenting an essay that you have memorised on a completely different topic. That said, I'm not saying that you shouldn't perhaps memorise a few different types of introductions or some sentence starters or uh, ways to introduce particular examples. All of that is fine, but you need to make sure that you are addressing the prompt that you have been given in the exam. And certainly there is a danger that you'll be penalised if you don't do that. So what I want to do now is look at both uh, context texts that we have studied at St. Leonard's very briefly and just recap some of the main points and also talk about some of the additional material that you might be able to include uh, with, uh, with your uh, discussion of those two texts. So if we start with Life of Galileo, of course it's a play by Bertolt Brecht. Uh, it's set in the 1600s during a period uh, known as the Renaissance. So that was a period of great change in Europe uh, and when people began to sort of look at the world quite differently. So it was a time of new ideas and new thinking, um, the emergence of uh, a greater value on intellect and, and intellectual thinking and hypothesis. So it's important that you understand the conflicts that we see in Life of Galileo against the backdrop of that uh, particular historical period. Many people believe that they were living in a new age. So it was a time, as I said, that was full of new ideas, new discoveries and new inventions. And if we look at Life of Galileo more specifically, Renaissance Italy was really a, a centre and a focal point of artistic and intellectual uh, advancement. It was the home of great geniuses of the age, Machiavelli, Da Vinci, Petrarch, Michelangelo and many others. So uh, it really was a, a great centre for the genesis of new ideas and new thinking. But of course, all of that was happening uh, while at the same time there was this dominant control by the Catholic Church. So Galileo Galilei lived from 1564 to 1642. Um, we know that he was an Italian physicist, mathematician, astronomer, philosopher, and he really played a, 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 a major role and a pivotal role in the emergence of what we know today as modern science. As I said, what you need to also understand is, is against the backdrop of all of these new ideas, the 17th century was also a time, um, 17th century Italy in particular, a time when the Catholic Church was immensely powerful. It was the dominant religion by far. And it wasn't just, uh, you know, this idea that we have in, in modern day society of this separation between church and state, which is sort of enshrined in constitutions in, in Western democracies around the world. That wasn't something that was 
uh, applicable during the time of Galileo. There was certainly this convergence, if you like. There wasn't a separation of church and state. There was a convergence of church and state. And so the power and wealth and dominance of the Catholic Church is something that you need to take into consideration and obviously think about when you are looking at the way Galileo responded uh, to the pressure that was brought to bear on him by the Catholic Church. This was also a time when the popes of the church, so the um, the vicars of Christ, as they're known, the heads of the Catholic Church, were enjoying the peak of their influence. So they weren't just leaders of the Roman Catholic Church, but they also enjoyed secular power and controlled much of central Italy around the seat of the Catholic Church, which was at the Vatican uh, in Rome. The majority of people, so we're talking about the ordinary people here, uh, the people uh, to which um, I guess Galileo's thinking was perhaps most relevant. The majority of people were very religious and they trusted implicitly in the authority of the church. So asking them, as Galileo was doing, to um, imagine a new way of thinking and to perhaps be at odds with, with the church was something that was um, quite fearful for them. So if we delve a little bit more specifically into the um, the text Life of Galileo and the, the conflict that we see within that. There are a couple key scenes that I want to point out to you. So one of them is scene seven, and this is where we have Cardinal Bellarmine announcing that the church has officially rejected Copernicus's theory, uh, calling it heretical, and instructs Galileo to abandon his view. He also tells Galileo that revising the basic astronomical concepts could jeopardize the peasantry's faith in the Bible, and with it, the entire fabric of society. So again, um, you know, the, the key element there, and I guess the fear of the Catholic Church, and, you know, we know that conflict often emerges from fear, was that by presenting ideas that were contrary to long-held views, that it would shake the faith of ordinary people, and in this case, the peasantry, right? So the, the illiterate population who looked to the church and, in, and implicitly believed in everything that the church said. And the fear was that if their faith um, was challenged the, and if they turned away from the church, that, you know, that would sort of cause this domino effect through society. Galileo doesn't uh, contend. So he doesn't argue, his theory doesn't argue that God doesn't exist. He talks about uh, humanity's view of God uh, in relation and God's creation is wrong. So Galileo in scene seven is brought to the attention of the Cardinal Inquisitor and the secretaries create the transcript of the conversations had with Galileo. So if you haven't gone back to um, scene seven, that's one that I would certainly start with in terms of uh, looking at the conflict. In scene eight, um, we have the little monk who visits Galileo and tries to talk him out of maintaining his views. And Galileo insists that the authorities have effectively bribed him not to stir up the peasants. So again, you've got this class conflict, the intellectuals uh, versus the peasantry and um, the lower class of society. When the monk suggests that the truth might somehow get through on its own, Galileo replies that it needs to be forced through. So, you know, there's certainly that thinking that, um, you know, truth will not emerge on its own, that it, it needs someone to be driving, uh, driving the truth and driving the search for truth. 
Uh, scenes 9 and 10 are also quite important. Uh, Galileo, obviously, we know, remains silent uh, for eight years. However, with the ascension of the new pope, Pope Urban, who is himself a scientist, Galileo begins to think that his fortune might change, and he is encouraged to resume his research into sunspots. Uh, in 1632, Galileo publishes his work in the common language, so Italian rather than Latin, and it spreads among the lower class. And the response of the common people is to declare that Galileo has broken the authority of the Bible and consequently the authority of the church. If we look at uh, scenes 11 and 12, so in 1633, Galileo has a copy of his book, The Dialogues on Two World Systems, to give to the Grand Duke of Florence, but he declines to accept it. So that's really, the, I guess, the, the formal rejection and, and uh, isolation of Galileo. The Inquisition then summons Galileo to Rome. Uh, the Cardinal Inquisitor tells the Pope of his concerns about the social unrest provoked by Galileo's publication. Um, and initially, the Pope is reluctant to move against the greatest physicist of the day and against someone who he uh, considers his friend. So, you know, you could argue that perhaps Pope Urban saw the validity of what Galileo was saying and believed in the validity of science, but was hamstrung by his position uh, as head of the Catholic Church. Um, the Pope eventually agrees that Galileo's doctrine should be declared heretical and that he should be encouraged to recant, so retract his theory. Um, and um, he, the Pope sort of says to the Cardinal Inquisitor that you can, you know, you can't torture him, but you can show him the instruments of torture. And Pope Urban knows very well that, um, you know, Galileo is ultimately, um, you know, perhaps not as strong as others might be and is likely to um, recant, recant his, his beliefs rather than uh, be tortured. So Galileo then goes um, before the Inquisition and um, you know, we have that sort of quite dramatic scene where um, they're all waiting for the bells to ring and initially they don't ring at five o'clock and they believe that Galileo has remained firm. Um, but then, you know, a few minutes later, the bells do ring to signify that Galileo has indeed uh, recanted his, his theories. So I want to provide a little bit more context for the play uh, itself. Um, and uh, I guess look at what prompted uh, Bertolt Brecht to write the play. So you need to understand that Europe in the early 1930s was a cauldron of social and political unrest. So we're talking about the period in history before the rise of the Nazi Party or just at the, the rise of the Nazi Party in Germany. Uh, and the literature of the time sought not to provide accurate images of what was happening, but instead to provoke change and encourage thought. And Bertolt Brecht was uh, a renowned German playwright who attempted to highlight the undeniable triumph of reason and knowledge and emphasised victory over authoritar authoritarian oppression. And that's certainly what he was seeking to do with Life of Galileo. The Life of Galileo is a play that, although being set in the past, concentrates on presenting contemporary implications and consequences of the remarkable account of the struggle between Galileo's scientific discoveries and the extraordinary power and influence of the Catholic Church. All of Bertolt Brecht's plays were a form of social and political instruction. He did not consider drama to be a form of entertainment and instead portrayed important images to the people of Europe, showing them the potential for social, political and economic change. 
being a Marxist himself and having grown up in an ordinary German family and having seen the progress of several regimes of European history, including the rise of Adolf Hitler and the effects of government ideology on, on the people, Brecht became a respected social commentator. And I think certainly in writing Life of Galileo, that's, that's what he was doing. He was offering a commentary on the society of Europe uh, in you know, the, the 1930s. He seldom conformed with the views of the government and many of the ideologies that Bertolt Brecht questions in Life of Galileo were prevalent in the governments of Europe at the time. And it's not difficult to realise why his texts were banned in Germany not, not long after they became widely read. His support for the empowerment of the common man and those marginalised in society is another theme that runs through his writing. And we see that in Life of Galileo with the distinction that he makes between the upper class and the lower class and the peasantry. So in the mid-1930s, uh, as I said, Europe was undergoing significant change. Legal, social and political tra uh, traditions were being swept away by the onslaught of totalitarianism. And governments were introducing policies of restricting individual freedom and seeking to subordinate all aspects of individual life to the political ideology of the time. The promises that the Industrial Revolution proclaimed were unfulfilled and people were disillusioned. Fascists and totalitarian governments were taking over most of Europe, particularly in Italy under Benito Mussolini, in the Soviet Union under Joseph Stalin, and in Nazi Germany under Adolf Hitler. And each government pursued its, pursued its own social goal, and anything that could foil that goal was to be rejected, often at significant social and humanitarian cost. In order to ensure their political longevity, governments in Europe at the time of Brecht uh, influenced the people into believing that they were perched on the dawn of a new age. Through shocking reforms and proclamations of a bright future, the rulers in several parts of Europe led everyone in their country to believe that they were on the verge of change and reform for the better. And this was certainly um, the doctrine of the Nazi government and the way they sort of um, mobilised the masses in their support. Um, undoubtedly, Brecht was aware of the policy of the Nazis and he planned to use theatre to question it, you know, being that sort of social commentator and, and social agitator. That was sort of part of what he, he saw as his mission. Um, use, uh, so one of the things that we need to look at in terms of the plot of Life of Galileo um, is that it chooses to present a historical situation where there was potential for a new age to dawn uh, and a new age to be brought about by the convictions of the people and not the false claims of government. And Brecht presents the character of Galileo not so much as a hero, but as a real and flawed human being. Galileo's recantation put on hold for years the progress he had made and allowed the Catholic Church's teachings and values to continue unquestioned. The silent message from Brecht is that we should put society before ourselves, just as Galileo should not have recanted to continue the momentum of thought and evaluation set against the 15th century social system. Uh, it's human nature to change and progress, and in very few societies in the modern world has equilibrium been maintained. And Brecht was telling those seated in the theatre to strive to change and question what they saw around them in the way that they wanted by not conforming with the views of others and not simply accepting what is set down by the government. He also pointed out the catalysts for further genuine change in society, um, and, you know, was obviously influenced by several great reformists of the time, including Marx, 
Freud, Einstein, among others. Even though Galileo was presented as far from perfect, he was a man who desired change and progress. And despite Segredo's warning that man is not amenable to common sense and the predictions of Galileo being burnt at the stake, and despite the onslaught of the plague, um, and despite Bellarmine claiming that Galileo's teachings are foolish and heretical, uh, Galileo does proclaim a new age. And he says, Andrea and I have made discoveries which we can no longer withhold from the world. A new era has dawned, a great age in which it is a joy to be alive. So in addition to Brecht presenting his audience with images of this dawn of the new age in life of Galileo, he's questioning the core political ideology of the time. So again, you need to remember that this is set against the backdrop of the 1930s in Europe. In 1933, Adolf Hitler came into power in Germany. Uh, he began a campaign that included suppressing all literature that in any way questioned the beliefs of the government. And you can certainly see parallels there with the play. He had all of Brecht's plays, poetry and books burnt in an attempt to keep the public uninformed about the potential for change in their government. And subsequently, Brecht was deported from Germany and had his passport removed. And these events in Brecht's life undoubtedly had an effect on his writing and in, uh, compelled him to write plays that questioned the creed of government. The Life of Galileo, particularly the initial version, which was written in 1939, presents the genius scientist Galileo as a man who, despite blindness, outsmarts the Inquisition and ensures that his life's work are not suppressed. And in doing so, Brecht was subtly pointing out that suppressing knowledge will always be futile. Throughout the play, Galileo sustained his belief in mankind's sense of reason. He perceived that our innate curiosity and desire to explain the universe must prevail over everything else. And his remarks that knowledge will become a passion and, and sorry, his knowledge will become a passion and research and ecstasy underpins that thinking. The final scene of the play is particularly significant in understanding Brecht's stance on the suppression of knowledge and discovery. As Andrea, Galileo's student, heads off beyond Catholicism and into new areas, he takes with him Galileo's Discorsi, the product of Galileo's life of research and experimentation. And he crosses the border post with the manuscript hidden under his coat, prepared to spread Galileo's teachings throughout the world. Despite the Inquisition putting Galileo under guard, uh, guarded house arrest, and despite the Catholic Church's constant effort to maintain its dominance, knowledge and reason won. And Brecht saw in Galileo's case a historical precedent for successfully spreading the truth despite the adversity of the Gestapo and the secret police in Germany. With every step outside of Italy, Andrea enacts how new ideas are irrepre irrepressible, and the final line of the play demonstrates the implications of the new discoveries and optimistic view of the future. As I said before, Brecht had strong Marxist convictions and he was living in a time when the Industrial Revolution had taken its toll and that working living conditions were poor for millions of Europeans. A socialist system was particularly attractive for the masses in Germany um, and instead their lives ended up being controlled by a totalitarian government. In the 15th century, so if we draw pal parallels here, in the 15th century, the wealthy and advantaged had dominance over their servants and workers. The peasants worked freely, but they led a limited, unenlightened life. Uh, this was mainly due to the fact that they were intellectually cut off 
from the rest of the world, and all major populations were uh, publications were in Latin, and we we see that with, with um, the lens grinder and and you know Galileo making the point that they should be um, that they should be you know not speak in Latin because the, the lens grinder doesn't understand that. Galileo insisted that all of his findings um, were published in language that everyone could understand and have access to. He believed that it would be, have disastrous consequences um, if for the, the future of uh, Italian society if the peasantry continued to be cut off um, from new ideas and new thinking. Um, another interesting point, I think, when we look at the time of Galileo, um, until that particular time, the study of science and philosophy had been combined, and the science was not interpreted objectively, uh, but the workings of the world were analysed according to philosophical beliefs. Ever since Aristotle had handed down the polemic system, its supremacy was unquestioned because it was protected by the combined entity of science, religion and philosophy. The Catholic Church adopted Aristotle's philosophy and for decades it reigned unchallenged. Uh, Bellarmine remarks, science is the legitimate and dearly beloved daughter of the church, Signor Galilei. And Galileo questioned this age-old system, maintaining that science should not be related to philosophy. A group consisting of both scientists and philosophers visited Galileo in Florence to discuss his new discoveries. Um, and they refused to look into the telescope to evaluate Galileo's work, despite his constant pleading. Uh, in a famous quote from the play, Galileo challenges the obstinate outlook of the scholars um, when he says, but really, you gentlemen need only look through the instrument. You know, so that idea of all they need to do is, is see the truth, that the truth is, um, is there to, um, to, pre to present itself for those who, who want to see it. In Albrecht's work, there is no more substantial and significant landmark than the first version of Galileo. So it really is a, a seminal piece in terms of Brecht's writing. Uh, and it's well known that it inaugurated a series of major plays whose writings occupied him until his return to Germany some 10 years later. So if we go back to thinking about uh, encountering conflict and how we might present these ideas, I think it's important that you, um, as I said earlier, that you think of the play through that lens of encountering conflict and that you are able to articulate the different types of conflict that we see uh, in the play. So I think, you know, you could probably... Uh, quite easily map out that conflict and divide it up into categories. What is the moral conflict of the play, the ethical conflict, cultural conflict, ideological conflict, personal conflict, social conflict. Um, so, and again, get a real keen sense of what examples of conflict we see in Life of Galileo and what categories we can put those, those conflicts into. Of course, one of the things for a context piece is that it's not a text response. So you need to be able to draw on the ideas of conflict within the play, uh, but then move beyond that. And I know uh, a number of classes have looked at the issue of censorship, and that is certainly a, a very strong one to look at in terms of the way in which the Catholic Church was censoring the ideas of Galileo and some modern examples of uh, censorship. So if that's not something that you're familiar with, um, I would encourage you to uh, to have a look on STL Link, where I know there is material available, um, but also do some of your own research. In terms of other material that you can include, um, I know certainly with my class we have focused on... Um, the conflict uh, between Galileo and the Catholic Church and then looked at some of the conflicts 
sort of currently facing the church in the modern era and I guess uh, taking the, the scientific conflict uh, between Galileo's theories and the, the doctrine of the church and then looking at some of the, the conflicts and challenges facing the church today. Um, obviously, um, as I said before, you need to, I think, set uh, your discussion against a backdrop of the history in which life of Galileo is set, so an acknowledgement of the period of Enlightenment and Renaissance and what that meant for Europe and what that meant for, for Italy uh, specifically. You should probably be looking uh, at Copernicus and um, perhaps being able to, um, not, I'm not suggesting you go into a lengthy discussion, but certainly be able to summarise uh, Copernicus's views um, when we look at sort of the current conflicts um, with the Catholic Church, um, obviously there is the whole discussion of uh, evolution and, you know, whether, uh, you know, we emerged as, uh, you know, God's creation or whether we emerged from, um, from the apes. I think uh, another sort of element to that um, discussion is uh, Higgs boson or the, the God particle, so the discovery of um, the particle that gives all matter mass, and the suggestion that that was that that um, particle is in fact uh, what was um, what caused the creation of the universe, and that it's not actually God that gave um, things mass, but it was actually sort of scientifically created. So again, maybe do a little bit more research on the God particle and Higgs boson. Uh, and the CERN research facility in Switzerland. In terms of social conflicts, I think there are probably three key areas where um, the Catholic Church finds that its doctrine is at odds with current views of society. Um, the first is with the issue of women in the clergy. Um, the second is the issue of gay marriage. And the third is the sanctity of the confessional seal. So, again, I'm not suggesting that you need to be au fait with all three of those, but that's certainly sort of something you can look at. One really interesting thing that I know we spent quite a bit of time in my class discussing is sort of the current status of the Catholic Church and specifically the popularity of Pope Francis. So um, Pope Francis was himself a uh, chemical technician. So he actually trained as a scientist. And I think there's some very interesting parallels you can draw between um, what appears to be his, his open-minded and liberal approach um, he has certainly uh, shaken things up a little bit for the Catholic Church and, and people are very excited by his open-mindedness and his new ideas and how that's sort of a departure from someone like Pope Urban in the time of Galileo who was also a scientist but who um, was fettered perhaps by the, the doctrine of the Church and unable to, to shift the popular thinking of the time. So those are just some of the ideas that I think you can look at uh, in terms of uh, life of Galileo. In the back of your Unit 5 revision booklet, there are some sample essays that have been written on uh, life of Galileo and certainly drawing in some of these ideas. Um, and there is plenty of material available on STL Link. Uh, if any of the, the ideas that I've discussed here are unclear, you should certainly be taking those up with your um, with your English teacher and uh, or certainly feel free to email me and I'm very happy to clarify them. Um, I had intended to combine Life of Galileo and The Quiet American into this one podcast, but uh, as it's 
uh, already hitting the half hour mark. I'll stop here for episode eight with Life of Galileo and uh, record the next episode focusing more specifically on um, The Quiet American. So I hope your revision is going well. We don't have long to go for the exam, so it's really important that um, your study over these next few weeks is very focused and obviously anything that your teachers can do uh, to assist you along the way, please uh, do get in contact with us. So I hope you enjoy what's left of the holidays. Thanks very much for listening and we'll be back with you next time. Bye for now.